Hello and welcome back to the Eastman's Predator Pros podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Nimnick, and we are back at it again talking coyotes, specifically Kentucky coyote hunting, with a guy by the name of Joey Hartley. You may be familiar with Joey's work. Um, he runs the Mangy Dog TV channel on YouTube. Uh, lots of cool decoy dogging action on there, um, kind of self-filmed, just, uh, you know, grit just kind of what you want to see when you're watching some coyote stuff just no fluff just exactly how it happens um but uh you know like i mentioned joey's out of kentucky um so i'm very interested to kind of get his take on what the coyote scene is like in in kentucky um joey's actually been out west multiple times hunting coyotes as well so i'm sure we'll get into some some discussion and debate about the good old topic of east versus west coyote hunting uh, seems like there's always uh, some sort of debate going on there, but uh, should be should be some great information coming out of this one. But uh, before we get going, I want to thank you guys for continuing to listen and tune in to this podcast series. Um, I'm enjoying bringing you guys this stuff. Um, I thought, you know, might get tough down the road trying to come up with topics and people to talk with, but seems like the more I do it, the more opportunities come about to bring you guys you know, cool stories and information from, you know, different guys all over the country. So I hope you're enjoying it. Like I said, I appreciate all your feedback, the support, um, you know, the reviews on Spotify, the reviews on iTunes, all that stuff goes a long, long way. So, um, you know, I appreciate all that. Continue to give me that feedback. Uh, we love it. But of course, we couldn't do this without the sponsors. So before we dive into this podcast, I need to thank the sponsors of this episode, which are Hornady and Lucky Duck Predator Calls. Now, with Hornady, you've heard me talk about it. I'm going to continue to rant about it because I am an AR-15 guy. I've been shooting exclusively an AR-15 since 2004. And, um, you know, I've shot a variety of bullets through there, the 50s, the 55s. But, you know, a handful of years back when those 53 grain VMAX came out, I started shooting those and I instantly saw just a difference, just a difference in how coyotes were dying, a difference in how my gun shot them. Um, you know, shooting out of my Daniel defense, MK 12, it's got an 18 inch barrel. It has a one in seven twist. And a lot of people think that, oh, that's, you know, not enough twist for a light bullet like that. Well, you know, the proof is on the target, I guess. Um, but through that setup right there with those 53 grain, you know, V maxes, my gun will shoot sub half inch groups, which is what you want, right? Like when you're shooting off a bench, you want a tack driver. So when I get on stand and I'm shooting off a swagger bipod or a tripod or whatever you're shooting up, you know, you know that your groups are going to get a little bit bigger. But if I start with that, that baseline of a, of a, you know, small half inch group like that, it's just uh, going to be that much more beneficial once you get out there and start whacking coyotes. So if you haven't shot the 53s yet, if you do shoot the AR-15, maybe you got a, a 223 bolt gun uh, and you haven't tried the 53s, man, I, I'd find them, you know, they're, they're more and more readily available now. Uh, pick you up a box. See how they shoot in your rifle, and if they shoot great, I'll tell you, you're going to love the terminal ballistics of it. The 223 gets such a bad rap from guys uh, as far as, oh, it's not going to kill coyotes. Well, you know, I probably killed thousands of coyotes with the 223 over the last 19 years. Um, so, you know, a lot to be said. It's it's usually the Indian, not the arrow, but um, give it a shot, man. If you're shooting a 223 platform, those uh, those 53-grain VMAXs are the ticket, at least in my opinion. So, um, but if you're in the market for any other ammo, looking to see what they have to offer, shotgun ammo, rifle ammo, you know, you can go over to their website, which is hornady.com and you can get all the ballistic data information from that and go from there. So check them out hornady.com. And then of course, lucky duck, you know, big sponsor, 
love being part of that team, working on new products. Um, you know, I ran th this past season, I ran a little bit of everything. You know, I ran the revolt quite a bit. I ran the new super revolt quite a bit. Um, still haven't quite decided, you know, I've, I ran the revolt for so many years for me. I do like the little remote just a little bit better. It fits in my hand, but I do like the features of the new super revolt, um, on that remote, you know, the same remote remote that you find on the roughneck. Um, so I think a lot of that for guys is kind of personal preference. You know, what, uh, what do you like better? You know, the night hunter seemed to like the new remote better just because you can dim the screen down, um, into that night mode. And it's got 10 levels of brightness setting as well. Um, but, uh, no, you know, we got some new products coming out earlier this fall that we've been kind of discussing and working on. So can't really say anything about those, but be looking for new stuff kind of towards the end of summer as, uh, stuff starts to hit the market for the upcoming coyote season. Um, but, uh, you know, if you're in the market for a new call, um, and want something that's going to give you the versatility, you know, the, the kick-ass sound library that Rick Paulette's put together, um, you know, all the other cool features, you can go over to luckyduck.com and you can look at the variety, you know, from their low end rebel all the way to their high end super revolt. There's going to be a call there. That's going to fit your price range, your budget, you know, how much you're going to call. There's going to be something there that's going to afford you the opportunity to go out and kill more coyotes than what you're killing right now. So like I said, if you're in the market for a new electronic call, go over to luckyduck.com and see everything that they have to offer. Well, Joey, welcome to the podcast, man. Great to have you on. Hey, thanks for having me, man. So we, we were dealing with this time zone change stuff. You know, I'm over here in mountain time. You're out in Eastern time. You know, you made me have to get up pretty early to do this podcast. You know, normally I'm still sleeping about this time, you know? Oh, you don't need that much <laughs> sleep anyways. <laughs> well, you know, you're the first guy I've had on the podcast from, from that Kentucky region. Um, so that'd be cool to get you on here, kind of get your background a little bit on, you know, how you got started in coyote hunting. Um, and then kind of talk through, you know, what coyote hunting is like in your part of the, you know, your neck of the woods per se, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I grew up in Indiana and, uh, I didn't know anybody that coyote hunted. I think I might've seen a coyote with my own eyeballs like twice. Um, by the time I graduated high school, we might have dabbled a few times, um, just like, the cheapest hand call you can buy and going out to public land and absolutely not having the tiniest idea of what we're doing but just <laughs> something about coyotes like was in my soul and uh, i wanted to pursue it and i ended up uh joining the army doing that and when we we're in afghanistan uh i was at ecp and we got all this intel about like you know if you, if you deployed you know you get crazy intel about like 97 v bids and all this stuff and uh, <laughs> it's not going to happen but you have to plan for it so they plus us up on some stuff and a predator hunting magazine came with uh all the ammo and stuff and i started looking through it and i was like man like when i get home i'm gonna start coyote hunting so i got out of the army and uh, moved up here into kentucky and uh all i had to hunt was one piece of public land that's like 125 acres and I still had absolutely no clue what I was doing. Didn't know about the wind, didn't know anything. And uh, I looked into killing a coyote one day off of it. And it was like, oh, was that man, your first, like, was that your first coyote ever? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Come on. I got it. That's part of my deal here. But it gets on my thing. They got a specifically detail orientated. I want, I want the story on how you, how you whacked that first coyote. Yeah. So uh, I might have missed one or two by this point. 
<laughs> I had just this horrible two two three bolt gun. The scope was shimmed. Um, just <laughs> nothing was kosher about this system at all. And uh, I was hunting this little piece of public land. And I think I was playing like great box distress and like got done with my stand. And at this point, my wife didn't hunt with me. Um, and I was like standing up on the phone with her telling her like I was about to head back to the truck. And I see this coyote that just like boogered out and it's taken off. And I just like threw the tripod legs down, like laid down. And I, I could not hit a coyote at a hundred yards standing still with this rifle. <laughs> but a Kyle at 250 running full speed, man, I just dumped it. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. And uh, after that, man, you know, like I drug that thing out like a mile to the truck for absolutely no reason, just because, you know, just I just because, killed my man. First yeah. And uh, after that, man, it was just something about it i was like we're gonna take this serious we're gonna put a lot of time and effort into being good at it you know at least just being proficient at calling coyotes and uh since then man that's that's what we've done i've talked to what i think are some of the best people in the industry i've read i've watched i've experienced i've done everything i could do to just be better at calling coyotes yeah, you know, I think you made a good point. It seems like all the the really good coyote hunters I know, it's like at some point they all had this little switch flip in them that said, you know what, that's what I want to do. Like the deer hunting, the turkey hunting. Yeah, it's cool. It's fun, but it's not coyote hunting. You know, it's like, that's what gets me going, you know? Oh, yeah. I, uh, like we moved up here to buy some land to deer hunt. And like we bought it. Um, I don't hardly deer hunt. You know, now you're like, managing it for coyotes now. What? Now you're managing it for coyotes now? Yeah, pretty much, man. <laughs> I don't, I don't shoot coyotes on it. Um, I make sure my wife and my son and like people like that deer hunt, but I don't care about it. I, I like to be a part of their success, but man, I ran cameras on it for coyotes a couple summers. Like we get a whole bunch of daytime pictures and. I wouldn't even really focus on hunting them. I just like getting pictures of them and kind of like learning from what you're getting from running those cameras. Oh yeah. Yeah. That adds a, adds a whole, we'll get into that in a little bit up. I know you have a YouTube channel. Um, so I'm curious to kind of get your take on all that. We'll talk about that here in a minute, but I want to jump back into kind of your start. You know, how many years ago was that when you kind of, when you killed that first coyote, when you finally said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to get serious about this. Probably about seven. So, yeah. So, so now, you know, you're, what would you say like in a given fall, winter? I mean, I guess I don't know what your coyote season is. I know I have a kind of a self-regulated coyote season, you know, maybe fall and winter, you know, maybe into early, early spring, but then I usually shut it down. Are you similar? Do you kind of, well, I know you do some decoy dog and stuff too. So you probably extend your season out a little bit longer than that, I'm guessing. Yeah. So, um, we don't hunt March. Um, we start hunting April. And we hunt pretty hard April through August. And then when deer season opens up in September, like 80% of our ground is leased for deer hunters. So we lose a ton of ground in deer season. And then once deer season rolls out, you're pretty much rolling in the breeding season at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we try to hunt hard through a uh, breeding season and then take March off and 
when April hits, we're back into it. What would you say? Are do you do some thermal hunting as well? Or are you primarily day hunting? I dabbled. I think two years ago, I thermal hunted like twice here in Kentucky. Um, last fall, I thermal hunted a little bit with Craig in Idaho, but I, I don't own a thermal or a, pursue it actively. Yeah, yeah. Would you say a majority of the guys in in your area are more thermal based nowadays? I'd or? say. The vast majority of new hunters are thermal based and a large majority of the guys that have been hunting are switching to thermal. Um, there's not many just straight up daytime only people around here anymore. Yeah. I think that's, that's kind of a common trend. I think all over, it seems like, you know, like, uh, I, I almost feel like at some point down the road, like day hunting is going to be like a lost art almost, you know? Yeah, man. I was talking about that um, a couple of weeks ago. I don't have anything against night hunters. You know, like you do you. I just don't want to see day hunting go away. You know, I don't want to see people lose that. Yeah, I've always felt like day hunting is, is has way more of a technical aspect to it. You know, like, you know, there's more of a process of picking the stands and where I'm going to set up and you know, that whole process, and maybe that's what deters people, obviously, maybe just because they don't have that knowledge base to go through that thought process, um, where that night hunting aspect is kind of, okay, this looks like a good spot. Let's just stand here and, you know, set the call out and let it play, you know, right here in the open. But yeah, I don't know, man, I, I'm kind of the same way. I, I do a little bit of, you know, of thermal hunting, but you know, 90% day hunting at least. Yeah. I just hope it's, I, I mean, I'm always going to day hunt. I don't know about that, but, uh, yeah, who knows what uh, what the what the future looks like there. Yeah, I'd say I'd say you're on the right track, especially just uh you know you're you're seeing more coyotes night hunting, you know, and I think that's what people are into. And I mean, like I said, it's cool. Like I hope people do if they want and they're happy about it. I just don't want to see day hunting slip away into this like lost art. Cause if you're good at day hunting, you can you can be really good at night hunting. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. 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 I just think people were kind of like let that go. And they just only, uh, only night hunt. (laughs) I think some of it too is probably the, uh, you know, just the mentality in general of, of things nowadays, you know, people want quick results, you know, they don't, I mean, when it comes to coyote hunting, I mean, the end, end goal is to kill coyotes. And if you want those quick results, you know, probably thermal hunting for most guys that are getting into it is probably the fastest way to go kill a coyote you know, or start having yeah. piles of coyotes to put on their social media pages and things like that, you know. So I, I 100% get it for sure. What are some of those challenges, I mean, in Kentucky, you know, I mean, what are some challenges that you guys face when it comes to coyote hunting? Probably that would maybe turn guys to say, okay, I think I'm going to I'm gonna have better luck hunting them at night versus the day. Is there some specific things, challenges? Was Is it the lay of the land, how the property is laid out? Man, not really. I think in some parts of the state, like where I'm at, night hunting can be harder because you got so many rolling hills and you got those little low spots that those coyotes will work coming in and coming to get downwind. If you don't know about them and it's dark, oh yeah, you're not going to see those coyotes working them. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. Like the wind gets so weird in these hills. If you can't master the wind to day hunt, like those coyotes are working the wind a lot more at night than they do in the day. 
Um, and it's kind of counterproductive for like someone brand new to go out there and night hunt if they haven't grasped the concept of what the wind's doing and how the coyotes are using the terrain and stuff like that. Well, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. I feel like people don't understand that. Oh, I, you can't go and pressure and educate coyotes at night. Well, yeah, you're right. If you don't know what you're doing, <laughs> I mean, you're you're pressuring and educating those coyotes the same as you know if you were out there trying to kill them in the daytime. You know, and they're running off because they smelled you or whatever. Yeah, the basic rules still apply. I mean, you can't get smelled. What's the what's typical lay of the land look like where you're at? Is it, is it some ag mixed with, with timber, kind of rolling hills, creek bottoms, that kind of stuff? What? It's a, it's everything, man. So about a half hour North of me is pretty substantial rolling hills with just like mainly timber. You've got some small ridges for uh, like cattle, stuff like that. Your Creek bottoms might have some cattle or row crop. And then the further west you go, the more flat it gets. And that's where you get into a, like your your big crop ground, your big cattle ground, like grown up creek bottoms and stuff like that. That's where I've seen our best coyote hunting is. Like our best farms are in that flatter, more ag-rich environment. Yep, yep. Yeah, ag's huge. County yeah, roads, it, you county roads like every every mile, or do you got decent chunks every now and then where where you can get it back into some stuff where there's not a road within a couple miles? Oh no, man. Um, so have you ever been to like the Midwest? Yeah, I mean, I've been through there. I've I've hunted in eastern Kansas and Illinois. You know, those are dirt roads like every mile, pretty much. Yeah, in those areas. Kansas is. Uh, no, it's a different ball game here. So like 95 percent of the state's private land the average private farm is like 100 acres um pretty much everything's paved like you're you're not getting out super far away from anything you know um it's not like kansas where you drive 10 minutes and you're on a, a dirt road and you feel like you're on the moon just away from everything or like uh, you know you go to idaho and stuff and you're absolutely four hours away from anything yeah you're always around stuff here so like when you take a section i mean so a section mile by a mile section right mm -hmm. so is there usually a road on every side of that usually or do sometimes oh, you yeah. get a couple sections that are tied in or is it always pretty much just there's it's a grid of roads everywhere it's not like indiana where it's all like squared off okay indiana is squared off you know, there's just there's roads just winding everywhere. everywhere like just no no pattern to them yeah pretty much i mean no there's kid <laughs> you don't go very far where there's not a road somewhere gotcha so so one of your challenges obviously and i'm sure this is what a lot of people would say would be land access right i mean yeah saying okay you know i'm not lining up a ten thousand acre ranch i'm lining up a hundred acre farm essentially right. right yeah exactly yeah so it just takes you what a lot more I mean, to have the number of stands, you know, that you need to make, you just have to make what more contact with people. Is that kind of how you went about it or? You yeah. Know, what's... So, um, you know, like in March, normally I'd knock on at least 50 doors and, uh, you know, you're, you're looking at, you have to have a lot of ground to kill coyotes and you knock on 50 doors, man, you get two yeses. Yep. 
you know, and then through the year, you end up getting a couple more yeses from those guys talking to their friends once you prove that you're not going to shoot a cow or leave gates open and <laughs> stuff like that. But yeah, it's a, a, you know, I think my biggest farm might be a thousand acres. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's very similar. Like when I go to hunt with Rick in eastern Kansas, you know, I mean, most of it's a quarter section, 160 acre kind of stuff, you know. You might have a half section. Every now and then we'll hunt somebody that has the whole section, you know, the whole 640. Um, but, you know, I talk this a lot, you know, it's land access is one of those things that's super important. Obviously, you got to have places to kill coyotes. You can't keep going back to the same spots over and over and over. I think a lot of people underestimate that. Um, but it's all about stand numbers, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. I can take, I can take a, let's say I have a 6,000 acre ranch out here in Western Nebraska. Depending on how the land lays, depending on where my travel routes are, um, you know, just I might that place might only be good for 10 stands if I'm lucky, you know, where, you know, if you lined up 6,000 acres in your neck of the woods, how many stands could you get off that? Like, man, I know hundreds, right? Because I did. I mean, so the Western mindset and our mindset for the way we hunt is so different, like. I'll make a stand 200 yards from my last stand. Yeah. And I'll kill a coyote on it. You know, I know, I know a lot of guys out west that will go at least a mile. But if the terrain is different, like you don't, you're passing coyotes going that mile. I've got a farm that, like I said, it's a thousand acres. I made four stands on it two winters ago and killed a coyote on every stand. Heck yeah. It's just putting a terrain feature between you on each stand. And sometimes that's all it takes for those coyotes. Yeah, that's a great point. I think a lot of people, you know, that that hit us up on social media and stuff and want these cookie cutter answers, you know, distance between stand is always a big one. Like, how far do I need to go? Well, I mean, yeah, you're right. Am I? Can I see for a freaking mile on the most flat ass stuff like you, you've ever imagined? Well, yeah, I'm going to probably go a little ways. But yeah, if I'm in Kentucky and, you know, I can make this the stand here and I can come around the other side of the drainage or whatever it may be and I'm three, four hundred yards and I can make great you know i think it's just people don't understand all the variables involved you know when it comes to that you know how far am i going you know you know when you're making so let me ask you this if you're making those stands pretty close together you know lay out a stand for me i mean if you're only expecting those coyotes i mean if you're planning on going two or three hundred yards over there well you're not expecting coyotes to be coming from a mile right yeah that's your mentality right the coyotes that are coming are going to be pretty close so what yeah, like, so What's your mentality on stand as far as length of your stand, like how, how you run in the volume when you're, when you know that, Hey, I'm just going to go right over there and make another stand here shortly. So a good example is the last summer we hunted a farm like that, where we come in kind of in the middle of the farm and there's a timber block to the right. And there's a timber block to the left and crow distance from each timber block was like 300 yards. So we went to the one to the right first set up right on top of it. And I was like, this is going to be a 15-minute stand. We're running like we normally do, start with vocals, go into pup stress, go into a more intense pup stress or like a pup fight, then end with a fight. Well, we call a coyote in in like four minutes, you know, let it work for probably 10 minutes with the dogs, killed it. Got up, moved towards the other timber block, set up right on top of it, went straight into a fight. Because you know that coyote probably heard the call and heard the coyote barking at the dog and all that. Mm-hmm. So we just set up on top of them and started really aggressive. And within 30 seconds, we had another coyote on top of us, let it work the dog and killed it. 
what like so volume of the call that's another question i get you know like were you running like what lucky duck revolt super yeah. Bowl, one of those rough rough uh yeah. rough neck what to, like what vol what was like volume you were running when you were running those man like, i am i'm like not that. the volume guy because people say i don't do it right but oh, i will <laughs> run my right. i will run my vocals 17 to 22 um it just depends on like the wind and uh the terrain but 17 and 22 no matter what and pup stress fights rabbit doesn't matter i'll start it at 15 and um you know people are like oh that's too loud for starting out when you're you know 100 yards away from where there might be a coyote because that's the way we hunt like when you look at a map on like the stuff we hunt you can basically put your finger on where that coyote is probably going to be oh 100%, um, so yeah. we might set up 100 yards away from but I've I've blown the ears off coyotes and had them still come in. So I, you know, you're not gonna call them if they can't hear you. So I just throw some sound to them to begin with. Oh yeah, yeah. I always I talk about this in my schools a lot. Like that's that's a very common knowledge piece that people throw around. You know, I think they more or less people just regurgitate it because somebody told them that. Oh, you can't start the call off loud, right? I don't know if anybody really understands that they just somebody told them that and they're just spitting out the same piece of information. But, you know, I tell people, think about how that really works, right? Like something had to have happened down the road. At some point, somebody saw something to come up with that theory, right? Like I always say, okay, imagine in your mind, what could possibly happen where somebody would say, wow, I played the call too loud, right? They probably snuck in, they got set up on their stand. They turned on the call and obviously they could see the coyote, right? running off so if the coyote could see you you know if you can see the coyote running off the coyote can see you right so i always assume that maybe it wasn't the call that you played loud maybe the coyote sat there the whole time and watched you walk in and get set up and it wasn't until some noise come out of this speaker that he decided nah, i'm gonna get out of here right i mean yeah i've seen him do that where like you don't realize that coyote's watching you but then he you know he was and as soon as you turn the call on he just gets up and he leaves and you're like oh man like that coyote was laying under that tree the entire time I walked yeah. through this wide open field and just lay there and watched us until we got loud. Yeah, but the average guy sees that happen. And what's he say? Damn, I played the call too loud, yeah. right? I spooked him, you know? And and I've, you know, and, and then, so the, the reverse side of that is, like you said, you on that, that example you just gave us, the second stand you made on the other timber block, the coyote was in your lap within about 30 seconds. Well, how far was that coyote? You know, it don't take him very long to travel. You know, if they're there in 30 seconds, he couldn't have been that far, right? Well, obviously, the sound didn't scare him out. You know, I was yeah. back to how many coyotes I've killed within the first 30 seconds to a minute of the call blaring it, um, you know, versus the amount of coyotes I've ever seen run off when I turned the call on, you know? I think, too, man, if you're a, if you're hunting, like, summer breeding season, and those, you know, sometimes coyotes just don't want to come in. Like, you know they hear it, and they just don't oh, 100%, want to. 100%, yeah. I think you can trigger those aggressive coyotes by being loud. You know, if you just hit them with that loud fight or something, that's going to trigger that switch more than just lightly tossing some sound at them and seeing if you can entice them to come in. Yeah, I always feel like, you know, Rick and I talk about this a lot with, uh, you know, the fact that he's been around coyotes for a lot of different years and the fact that some coyotes are just naturally more aggressive. You know, just right from the the get go when they're born, you know, you get a litter of puppies, right? You know, some of them are just like the runts of the litter, some are the studs of the litter, right? And so, so coyotes in general, you know, maybe these coyotes that we think are these 
these, I don't know, smart, educated pressure coyotes are not really that at all. Maybe they're just the little wuss coyotes, you know, that were never, you know, never really aggressive, you know? So, you know, is there, is there some thought out there to, to say, okay, I'm just going to target these aggressive coyotes year round. They're out there, right? I mean, yeah. maybe, and they're the ones that usually come running in that respond to the call really good. The, the little wussy pre whatever you want to call them. They're the ones that sneak in and sit out there and, you know, frustrate the hell out of us. But, you know, maybe, hey, maybe we say, you know what, I'm not going to give up on those coyotes and I'm just going to go target, run and gun and target these aggressive coyotes with aggressive tactics. You know? Well, I mean, that's going to make a better video. And plus, uh, with like with dogs, that's basically what we're doing anyways. You know, if a coyote comes in and doesn't work the dogs, we normally don't kill it. You know, we're only killing the aggressive coyotes spring, summer and breeding season. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's something, it's, I don't know, it's just interesting to me. You know, it's always been a numbers game. I have always, for me, it's always been 100% numbers. Like, and maybe you're the same, I assume everybody that coyote hunts is the same way. But if I have a day to hunt or a morning to hunt, my goal is to go out there and kill as many coyotes as I can in that given time. I mean, is that is that usually what your mentality is? Yeah, um, we had to make that switch, though, when we started running the dogs. You know, um, they used to be just like, if a coyote comes in, we're going to kill it no matter what. And now it's like, you know, they come in. If we're not going to work the dogs, we're not going to shoot them. Or like, we might let them work the dogs a little too long. Then the coyote leaves. And yeah, you're yeah. like, well, you know, we'll come back in a week and try to call them back up and have them work the dogs again and then kill them. But it's just, you know, we had to switch from the trying to kill as many as we could because that's a, that's not as beneficial to the dogs. It's just having them build experience by spending time working coyotes. Yeah. Yeah. The goal is get them some work, right? Like, yeah. So that's why you're not, somebody listens might say, well, why aren't, you know, you have a, a less aggressive coyote pop up on the tree line at 200 yards and looks at the dogs, but doesn't want to work. Why aren't you shooting it? I mean, cause really there's no benefit at that time of year, right? Like in the middle of the yeah, summer, well, really, it's going to hinder the dogs, you know, cause they get like, they love to work coyotes, but if you start killing coyotes before they even work them, the dogs are like, you know, why go out? Oh yeah. yeah like 100%. you're just going to shoot that coyote and I'll go chew on it. <laughs> you know, or like if they go out one time, then come back and you shoot the coyote, they're going to get in a habit of just going out one time and coming back and expecting you to shoot it. When you're working these dogs in the summer <clears throat> and you talked about it, do you see that you could maybe come to back to spots maybe a little sooner than what you normally would if you're hunting in the, the fall and winter without dogs? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I've always been big on re-hunting den sites anyways. You know, like I'll hunt a den site, kill a coyote, then go back in a couple weeks. But with the dogs now, I mean, like in February, we called a double in that didn't work the dogs at all. But it's a spot that normally has a den. So I'll be there in two weeks, and I guarantee we call a double in, and they're going to probably work the dogs. You know, it's... Even if they don't work with dogs, man, um, you can go back in a week. They might be in a different mood because you didn't spook the coyote. The coyotes aren't educated about anything. They just came in and saw what they assumed was just naturally dogs there. Yeah. And they weren't in the mood to work them. You know, they didn't see you. They didn't smell you. They don't know you're there at all. Yeah, that's interesting. <clears throat> have you been to, Have you been back to 
spots like that over the course of like April, May, June, where maybe you've killed two or three or four coyotes out of, out of that specific spot. And then there's, they're just not there anymore. Or do you have, does it seem like once you kill that, that pair out of that denning site, like what's the normal time? I mean, are they gone for the rest of the spring and summer or is that spot no, shot it now? Depends, like if you, uh, so the farm down the road in April, we killed a male and female, but it wasn't the wet female. So we went back in like September, killed a coyote, went back in October, killed a coyote, went back in January, called some coyotes in, you know, the, the stuff we're hunting in April, we normally don't hunt the rest of the year, but I've went back to different spots like a, I've got a dairy farm. I think we killed six coyotes off of it, just singles. Like every time we go in between June and November, we'd go like once a month or so and kill a coyote every time because yeah, yeah. there's a den there. So we'd go kill adults, but not kill the wet female too early. And then when the pups got, you know, into September, October, we started calling the pups. In. Oh, heck yeah. Probably got a nice little dead pit behind that dairy too, I bet. A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> That's pro tip right there. Find yourself a good dead pit and let those coyotes come rolling in all all season long on it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a lot of dairy? Do you guys have a lot of dairies and pig farms and that kind of stuff in that country? Not really on the dairies. Um, that spot has like a couple of small like family owned dairy farms right around there, but mainly it's just a. Uh, beef farmers but not like full-time guys most of these guys are running cattle but they also have a full-time job yeah yeah you know because like i said they're not they're not running cattle on thirty thousand acres you know it's hard to make a living now when you're only running cattle on a couple hundred acres oh for sure for sure so you mentioned you've been out to idaho have you been out to any other kind of western states or is that has that been your only trip out west where i would uh, consider west you know, i guess Kansas. Idaho, and when I go to Idaho, we normally hit Nevada too. Yeah, yeah. What are some of that? So I'm curious, am I? Because it seems like a a lot of guys that hunt hunt in the West have never hunted what I would consider the East. Some of you Eastern guys have never been out into some of this Western stuff to see kind of some of the differences on, you know, how things lay out, how things play out in the coyote killing game. I mean, what are some of the what are some of the main differences that you've seen between? you know, Kentucky, your area versus Idaho or Kansas even? I mean, I'll tell you from what we've seen, when it comes down to sounds that kill coyotes and tactics that kill coyotes and the way coyotes behave, it's the exact same in every state I've ever been to. You know, like you hear a lot about, oh, like you can't come out here or the coyotes over here don't do this. <laughs> no, man, like a coyote is a coyote. Hey, everybody's um, coyotes are smarter, right? That makes yeah, it all look yeah, better. You know, right? it's, well, our, our coyotes don't come out into fields like yours do. Oh, of course, yeah. But, yeah, you know, absolutely they don't. Why would it? No. Um, same sounds, same tactics. You know, I'm not changing my game when I go to Kansas. We're still killing coyotes. When I go out with Craig, like, we're doing the same stuff. Yeah, We're still yeah. killing coyotes. I did figure out, because so there's a big misconception that out west has, like, a billion coyotes per <laughs> square mile yeah you guys have um, you figured out real quick that your coyote densities are way more than ours yeah no actually i think it is 
Oh, 100%. But I figured out why people think that and why guys out west put up the piles that they do. And it's not saying you guys aren't good hunters, but you can make sand so fast. You know, I might have to drive 20 minutes to go to a new farm, make a stand, then drive 15 minutes to go to another farm and make a stand. When you guys can just make stand after stand after stand on that one dirt road going through BLM. And you, your success rate might be the same as mine or lower, but you're making 30 stands in a day when I'm only able to make 10. Yeah, and that's that's a good point. You know, what? I talk a lot about that as well. I mean, to me, it's about, you know, how successful is that stand, the percentage of success on each one of those stands. Sometimes in this big open country that we have, you're right, you know, I think do, people do think there's a coyote hiding behind every sagebrush or every piece of yucca bush or in every draw, you know, our range, the range of coyotes out here is, is a lot bigger, meaning the area that those coyotes are kind of spending their time in, which makes it tougher. Like when you, you know, you mentioned there's a lot of times you set up and you know exactly where the coyote's going to be, right? Like if they're in there, they're, you know exactly where they're going to be. Either yeah. They're there. They're not right. You know, out in this country, and you see it when we film out in this country. I mean, we could have coyotes come from hard right, hard left. Straight. I mean, hell, we don't ever. I mean, you're making educated guesses on to where they might be, but they could be about anywhere. So we're the mentality out here is we're trying to blanket an area with stands because we do have the access. The area is big enough. So you're almost blanketing this this area with stands, hoping that one of these two or three or four stands I make, there's that's where the coyote's going to be. You know, we're in your neck of the woods, right? You're limited. It's like, if I'm going to make a stand, it's got to be right here, right? I, like, I don't have any other options. <laughs> yeah, it's a, you know, like when I look at doors to knock on or I look at going to go hunt, when I pull that map up, you're looking at a cattle pasture and then five acres of timber, and that's the property line. You, you know, if there's a coyote on that farm or around it, it's going to be there yeah. unless it's in the cattle pasture when you walk in. And when I'm in Idaho, I'm looking at endless sage. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Craig, wh what are we looking for here? Yeah. He's like, oh, this will be a good stand. I'm like, why? <laughs> you know, like it, it looks like everything else. It's just yeah. sage. Yeah. Yeah, it's overwhelming. I mean, everybody I've ever had, the Eastern guys that have come out and hunted with me, that you know, it's like, wow. I mean, like you can see for freaking miles. There's no trees to block your view. It's like, yeah, what am I looking for? Because it all is the same, you know, and I, I think that's where it, just hunting the area and kind of understanding the micro terrain and it, you know, kind of how everything lays out. But, you know, back to the point about numbers game, another thing I think that affects us a lot, you know, us Western guys, it's not uncommon for us to go out and hunt a full day, right? Like we head out, we're out there at sunup and we go at it hard all day long because we have the land access and we have enough area to hunt all the day. And yeah, we may crank out 18, 20, 22, whatever it may be in that day. How many guys in your neck of the woods go out and hunt coyotes all day long? Yeah, really, if it's not a competition, not many guys are doing it. And I have a lot of guys that, like, want to come hunt with me, but, you know, most of my stands, like, when I hunt, um, where I work nights, I can hunt in the morning pretty much any morning I want. So I'm making one to two stands in the yeah. morning, that's it. Yeah, yep. If it's Thursday, man, I'm tired. If I kill a coyote on the first stand, we might be going home. <laughs> you know, like, we just – I would love to be able to have more days to hunt like that where you just hunt all day. That's why we love Kansas. Cause like, that's all we have to do when we go there is just hunt. But 
there's not many guys taking an entire day or even the night hunters taking an entire night just to try to put a pile up. Yeah. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but I wanted to take a second to tell you a little bit about Black Rifle Coffee Company. Now, their mission is simple, to serve coffee and culture to people who love America. Now, they've developed their explosive roast profiles with the same mission focus they learned as military members serving this great country. And they are committed to supporting veterans, law enforcement, and first responders. Now, we all know those first stands of the morning come early, and even those midday stands can be a drag, and caffeine and coffee are our friends. So if you're looking for a new line of hot roast coffees or even some of their cold brews, you can go to their website and see what they have to offer. Now, one thing I want to tell you about is their coffee club subscriptions. These allow for automatic deliveries on your schedule and also give you exclusive discounts with over 50 industry partners. So if you would like more information on these coffee club subscriptions that Black Rifle Coffee Company has to offer, visit blackriflecoffee.com. Now back to the podcast. And I think that's too, that's where social media, I think, comes in. I may hunt my ass off for 12 hours one day and kill six coyotes, you know, and everybody's, well, I'll kill six. Well, yeah, we, we grinded all day, you know, for, for six coyotes. Well, the average guy in your neck of the woods or somebody else went out and made four stands one morning, and then they went home and killed one coyote. They're like, well, I've only ever killed one. Well, you're only making four stands. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like it, yeah, it's, it's, it's not comparing apples to apples sometimes, I think. Yeah, and that's, you know, people don't see all the blanks that you made to kill those six coyotes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know. And really, I think, uh, I think because of how I pick land here, I've had a better stand success ratio here than I have in Idaho or Nevada. Um, you 100%. know, just, just I think because you can pinpoint it more. You know, like yep. you said, your coyotes are moving way farther you got 30 miles of sage like there's not one piece of sage holding that coyote right there yep yeah i see that when i hunt with rick in eastern kansas like just stand percentages are higher like we only make 10 or 12 stands because you're right pull in here make a stand then we're driving down the road three or four miles we're pulling into that spot we drive over here three or four. Oh, yeah the wind switched on us this spot's no good so we got to turn around and head back over to here you know so you're not you're not near as efficient, but you know, we only make 10 or 12 stands. We may call in coyotes on 50% of those stands, you know, and I'm like, okay, that's pretty good. You know, we still kill five or six coyotes in a day. We're out here, you know, I have to grind out maybe 16, 18, 20 stands to kill that many, just where your stand ratio is maybe one out of every three, one out of every four, just because, you know, you're trying to blanket those areas and trying to, you know, get lucky essentially where, where the coyotes are laid up at or where they're at. Yeah. You know, what's funny to me, like I, I, the, the East versus West thing is always just something I chuckle at because most guys that, that talk about it don't have the experience level. I feel to be able to talk about it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like they haven't been everywhere. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's weird to me. I, I feel like too, like, you know, e Eastern coyote hunting is fairly new, right? Like you talked about it when you were growing up in high school, you hardly ever saw a coyote, you know? And then all of a sudden now over the, what, the last maybe 15 years, you're starting to see more and more coyotes. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, if you go like far east where those guys are killing truckloads of red foxes, they just don't have the coyote population yet. You know, um, 30 years ago, I doubt our coyote population in the Midwest was what it is now. 
So, you know, those oh, yeah. guys in like Virginia and stuff, it, they probably don't have as many coyotes as they will in 10 years from now. But 100%. because of that, they think that their coyotes just are harder to kill. <laughs> well, I look at it this way, right? So, you know, Western coyote hunting has been around for generations, right? There's been guys out here calling coyotes, you know, Texas up all the way out through here, you know, multiple generations. So a lot of guys have learned Western coyote hunting through somebody else, right? Somebody that's done it. You know, they've, they've gotten to go with their dad or their grandpa or a buddy, somebody that's done it and done it and done it. And they kind of learn that way. Right. Well, like Eastern coyote hunters, they're, we're like on generation number one of Eastern coyote hunters, right? Yeah. Like there's no, like, like my granddaddy was killing coyotes back in 1950s. You know, they're, you don't hear nobody say that in Kentucky, are you? Oh man, my dad's <laughs> never even killed a coyote. Yeah. So, so how are Eastern guys learning, right? They're trying to learn through stuff like this podcast videos, which primarily are what from Western guys, you know, filming and hunting. So I I think it's, that's a hard thing for guys to wrap their head around because they're trying to, they look and they see these videos and they see this stuff and it's a lot of Western stuff and they're trying to relate it to Eastern. But like you said, the core, the foundation is what, it's lacking there. You can take that core foundation and go to Idaho, Kansas, Kentucky, wherever, and mold that foundation, mold those few variables and things like that. And, you know, at the end of the day, the coyotes, coyotes, a coyote. Yeah. I think Facebook's really helping a lot um, with the different pages and you can get advice. Well, it's kind of bad too. You can get advice from anybody <laughs> on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> um, it seems like the good coyote hunters are the quietest people on Facebook, which, uh, you know, it sucks for like new guys trying to get into it, but dude, Facebook gets wild. Sometimes I understand it, but I mean, man, like everybody, like we want to see people kill coyotes and have a good time and call coyotes and be successful. But then at the same time, there's so many people like gatekeeping sounds, you know, how many times you get on Facebook and see like, what sounds are you using right now? And everybody gets mad and they're like, go figure it out. Yeah. No one, not many people have just gone and figured it out. Everybody's had at least like a mentor to like talk to or like toss ideas around with. And there's nothing wrong with like telling somebody not to play Sasquatch distress in May, <laughs> you know, like at least toss out like some basic information for these guys to be successful. Yeah, I, I've noticed that about I, – I noticed that early, early on when I – like when I started getting in contests and things like that and hunting against old-time guys that were good. It's like coyote hunting is one of those things that takes – it takes tons and tons of trial and error and just getting out there and doing it yourself. Probably similar to a lot of other hunting, but I'm I'm biased to coyote hunting, thinking maybe that maybe that's a little more so, you know, trial and error based than deer hunting or turkey hunting maybe. So yeah, the guys that have put in that time to learn that, I think they are, there is some selfishness to that, right? Like, you know what? I put in the time to learn all this. Why aren't you putting in the time, right? You know, why should I just spill my guts <laughs> with everything I learned um, to you, you know, put in the time and effort, yeah. right? I mean, that's the mentality I, I see out there. I think there's a difference. Like if I, if I can tell that you just flat want to sit down and call a coyote in on every stand, you know, I'm not going to be that inclined to kind of help you out some. But if you come to me, if, like, I've made 87 stands in the past six <laughs> weeks, 
And like, this is the wind I'm hunting. Like, this is why I'm seeing these. And like, I can tell that you're actually piecing it together and like you're putting the work in. Absolutely, man. I'll help you out every day. But that's, that's what it takes. Like, if you're not calling coyotes, it's not because there's not coyotes there. You know, if you've made 17 blank stands in February, it's not that there's not coyotes there. It's that you're doing something wrong. And that's what a lot of people, I think, don't understand. Like, they don't want to blame it on themselves. They just want to say there's not any coyotes. Or blame it on stuff like, oh, since night season started, I, I can't call a coyote in the daytime. Or <laughs> my coyotes are smarter than their coyotes. Stuff like that. Oh, and that's yeah. when you get into not wanting to help people out. Yeah, that's a good point, you know. And I get hit up a lot, too. With, and, and the one, one, you know, sentence questions I get, any tips on calling coyotes, you know, like that's like, if I had a hundred dollar bill for every time I've gotten that message come across Instagram, like to me, right. Like that guy wants me to spill my guts to him. And he wrote me a one sentence question. Right. But the yeah, guy, that's like a, a 97 day essay. Yeah. Yeah. Response. Yeah. Like, but the guy, like you said, the guy that writes me a couple paragraphs and he's detailed and says, Hey, I've been doing this. Seems like this isn't working this you know and, and lays it out a little bit for i'm way more apt to say okay dude like exactly like you said like this guy he's put a little effort in his question to me so you know what i'm gonna put a little effort back in my answer to right. him you know kind of a deal because it feels like he is wanting to learn he is one you know like you said the guy that writes one sentence and hits send he's just wanting immediate satisfaction okay yeah, he thinks exactly. there's some you know secret sound that he can play out there that's gonna get coyotes running in on every every stand you know <laughs> yeah i mean like you play a you play rick sounds you know that it's not like schoolyard brawl is not the only pup stress that's gonna kill a coyote oh yeah yeah you know i mean about a hundred percent of his pup stressors are gonna kill a coyote yep. if a coyote one's come in pup stress everybody's like what sound is working right now <laughs> yeah like, what? yeah the funny i always chuckle about this because i think people like like when we're filming and things, I think people think like we edit like the sounds, like we have these secret sounds that Rick recorded just for us. And then we, but like, I'm telling you what, like, it's no joke. TNT cottontail schoolyard brawl, SIG kicking ass three. I mean, there's like four or five sounds that I play probably 90% of the time. Oh yeah. And it doesn't matter the time of year. It matters. Maybe the sequence and series that I'll play those sounds a little bit, you know, but it doesn't matter. I, I don't know. There, it's always one of those things. That's it, I always wonder this. Like, like you said, you could play probably one of twenty pup distresses, and that same coyote would have come in, right? But could I have played a rabbit right then? You know, could I have played some other weird? Uh, would that same coyote have come into the call at the same time at the same rate? Was it just because that coyote was aggressive enough that it didn't matter what I played at that time? You know, I. I think sometimes there's some scenario stuff where coyotes react a little bit different. That same coyote sitting out there. I do because I've seen it, you know, but I almost wonder if like three quarters of the coyotes you call in, you just happen to be set up right on them, you know, right within their bubble, as I call it. And, you know, it really probably wouldn't have mattered what sound you played, whether it was lucky pick or TNT schoolyard, bro, you name it. That coyote was probably coming to the call. Well, you don't, you don't hunt much uh, summertime, do you? No, I don't hunt at all in the summer. <laughs> Oh, dude, that's, like, the perfect example of, like, when you kill a coyote to pup stress, It sometimes it seems like it doesn't matter what pup distress you play, any type of coyote-based sound, 
and I caught it, well, it would just rain you over. You know, they, they get so territorial and prote- uh, protective that time of year. It's just like some of those coyotes, man, you, you can't make them not come in. Yeah, yeah. Well, I always feel, too, like there's there's so many more variables involved in all this that people don't consider. So, you know, they all people want to know about is what sound I played, right? But let's say let's say I'm sitting on a stand and I'm playing Lucky Pecker for the first three or four minutes and then nothing shows up. And then I switch over to like a sound like schoolyard brawl for the next three or four minutes. And then, you know, within about that first two minutes of schoolyard brawl, here comes the coyote rolling in. Okay. Most people are going to think, well, he liked the, he liked the pup distress over the, the prey distress. Right. But there's more factors. I always look at more like that because maybe, maybe, maybe you, maybe you're one of the guys that starts their call off on low volume. Right. And maybe you played lucky pecker at 15 for the first three minutes and then all of a sudden schoolyard brawl you're like okay i'm gonna play it a little louder now well could it be that that coyote finally just heard the sound you know or maybe he was coming into lucky pecker yeah it just yeah. didn't get there in time yeah so and, and i know that's a fact too because there'll be a lot of times i'll switch sounds and the coyote will show up within the first 30 seconds of playing the second sound well obviously he was coming right he was coming to the first one yeah i've seen them a lot of times like uh normally i'll play my first sound for five minutes and I've seen them hang up like in at the edge of the woods and just scan, and they're sitting there all day. And as soon as you change to like the next sound, it pulls them out. So a lot of times, I think when, when you have a coyote show up within like thirty seconds to a minute of a sound switch, they were already coming. They were just hung up, and you didn't see them, and you switch sounds and that pulled them in the rest of the way. Yeah, it's unique to me. I mean, I just I just feel like a lot of guys don't understand like there's way way more involved than just just the sound that you played you know i mean the volume i played the sound how long did i play the sound what was the wind like you know i mean just there's a lot of factors um yeah i'd be curious you know this is the crazy thing about coyote hunting this is all theory like we'll never prove any of this shit you know like i mean there's no way i mean it's just we take all these little bits of information and we, all of us as coyote hunters have our own theories, right? And it's all based off of just these few minute pieces of, of information we've gathered. And we make these big, broad assumptions based off of that, you know, kind of makes it fun. We'll never get it figured out, but, you know. Yeah, that's why you get those endless debates with everybody oh, about, yeah. you know, like, I've had people tell me I can't kill coyotes with the wind blowing in my face. Um, and they're like, you, you love Lucky Pecker. I've never seen a coyote in my life playing Lucky Pecker. Um, yeah see it, yeah <laughs> yeah it, there's just all crazy stuff like that i you know i mean yeah i don't know i don't know and, and people sound you know you you hear another one is like uh i call most of my coyotes in on this sound that's because you probably play that sound more than <laughs> Ex- exactly that's what I was like. like if you did you keep track of like what percentage of your stands did you play that sound right like the odds are pretty good. It's probability. So, hey, the odds are pretty good that, yeah, if you're playing this sound 60% of your stands, well, probably a good chance you're going to call in a majority of your coyotes on it, right? <laughs> yeah, like most of our coyotes come in in under eight minutes. Um, So if we play a sound for five minutes, there's a good chance 80% of our coyotes that you're going to come in in that first five minutes. <laughs> if I start every stand of schoolyard, by the end of the year, schoolyard is going to be my best sound because I played <laughs> yeah. it the most when cows were coming in. It doesn't yeah. mean that's the best sound I have. And that probably all revolves revolves right back to the that does the does the actual specific sound matter as much as people really think? Yeah, 
you know, probably not. You know, I think I do think people put too much. Rick's probably not going to like hearing that, you know, but uh, I know there's plenty of guys that got four or five, six hundred sounds on their call. But, you know, I think the reality of it is, is that, you know, you're set up where you're set up at, how close you're set up to where you think the coyotes are going to be. To me, that's more important than the than the sound you're going to hit play on. Bottom yeah, line. You, you have to be where a coyote is, close enough to that coyote, and have a good wind. Like, if you ignore any of those, it doesn't matter what sound you play or anything else about it. Yeah, oh, 100%. 100%. So, so speaking of, like, social media, YouTube is a kind of a thing that, you know, you've been involved with now for a handful of years trying to, you know, get your YouTube channel going up with what, what are some of the challenges? I mean, I know there's probably some guys listening to this. I get messages all the time. Like, man, I'd really like to start up a, a YouTube channel. I'd like to start filming my own hunts, putting them on there, you know, so I can monetize it and make all this money and get all these sponsors. Right. You know, that's kind of the mentality. So yeah, what, yeah. What's been, it, what's been some of your, you know, background on that? You know, trying man, to, I'll tell trying to you that if you're starting a YouTube channel, and your goal is to get sponsor like paid sponsorships, you're not gonna like it. <laughs> yeah. You know, like uh, if, if that's your end game, like that's your driving force, just hang it up now because it's it's gonna be such a long process that might not ever happen. You know, you could be the best at playing football and never make it to the NFL. You might have the best YouTube channel and never get seen by someone that has a budget to pay you. Oh, 100%. Um, you know, it's getting out there, man. Like, it's, YouTube is saturated with dudes killing coyotes on film. You've got to have super consistent, really good content that stands out. You can't control all of it. You can't control how many people click play. You can't control how many people click subscribe. You can't control who it is that's watching your stuff. All you can do is push it and produce really good content consistently. And it's cool. Like, uh, I think two years ago, ours started taking off really well. And, I mean, we're almost to 29,000 subscribers now. Nice. It's starting to, like, build. And it's it's just it's neat to watch it grow with all the work we've put into it and from what it started at. But with that came a lot of changes on our end. You know, like, we put work in. I knock on a ton of doors. I hunt when I'm so tired I can barely keep my eyes open because I worked 16 hours and I've got work that day too. But it's, you know, you just get, gosh, man, like it's, it's not just fun and games sometimes. Like it's actually, it's work. And if you, if you want to do that and you want to grow a channel, you've got to understand that it's going to be work and you've got to push yourself to do it. Yeah. I think, you know, because it does turn into work, I think, I think you have to like really have to have a love for wanting to, to capture it on camera. I mean, bottom line, I mean, I think for me, it's one of those things that the, the underlining goal is, you know what, I, I want this shit to be captured on camera so I can watch it forever, essentially. Right. Like, Dude, well, like what is wild is, you know, people are normally, they love having a camera with them or they hate it. And I've grown to love it. Like, I don't remember the last time I've hunted without a camera. But my grandkids that might not ever meet me or remember me can go to YouTube and watch 
years of hunts. They can watch yeah. their dad when he was five <laughs> on coyote stands. You know, like, that's freaking cool, man. Hell yeah, it is. You know, like my great, great, great grandkids, if society hasn't crumbled at that point, <laughs> can go watch all that stuff. And it's just really neat that you're you're putting parts of your family's history down to last that's exactly what it is right like very you know we all have it like back in the day we'll break out the old photo albums right when we were all kids like that's like i don't even know if people even do that anymore because everything's like digital nowadays but that was always cool to me like you pull out the old photo album and it's kind of a history of things right because or you pull out the old uh, family tapes you know whatever you know vhs or even before that with the freaking spool of filming away back in the day but yeah this is our way to like kind of archive our history you know to a certain extent which to me that's why that's why i've always filmed is that's been the underlying condition is like okay this is the main goal is to is to you know archive all this stuff so yeah just have fun with it and have those deeper meanings to doing it and as it grows, if it turns into getting sponsorships and monetizations and making money off of it, that's awesome. Like, I mean, if we can pay for all of our expenses for coyote hunting and pay for our trips, I'm happy just with that. I'm not trying to quit my job and coyote hunt full time. Oh, yeah. I think that'd be too stressful anyways. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I think maybe I'll, maybe I know... I don't even know if there's even a one person that coyote hunts full-time. Well, Colton Gill well, probably that's does. That's what's but... funny. People think, like, you, I'm not going to, like, name people, but they see guys that, and they're like, oh, like, he coyote hunts full-time. They don't know this dude, like, is also doing consulting work and, you know, runs, like, 18 social media platforms for companies and stuff like that. He has, no one's just going out there making five stands a month and paying their bills. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, look at me. Look, I had to, I have to quit. You asked if I coyote hunt in the summer. It's not because I don't like to or wouldn't, but you know, I got to go run my real life. You know, the lawn care business. I got to go run. I got to coach baseball. I mean, I got to go because the coyote hunting is not a full time gig. You know, unfortunately. So, so yeah, yes. man, we got to go back to that's the real world every now and then because I can hunt any morning. You know, if I switch to working days like a normal person, I wouldn't be able to hunt as much. Oh yeah. That's an interesting thing too, you know, time on stay, you know, how much we can get out of it. So I'm always curious, like guys, jobs, like how much that does affect, like, you know, I'm lucky enough. I I've had a lawn care business for the last 20 years. So it's always allowed me the winners off pretty much, you know, which has allowed me to hunt as much as I've been able to. Um, but everybody has a different situation, you know, and, and, you know, I talk about a good buddy of mine, Brett, you know, Rive hunt with quite a bit he's a rural route ups driver man and from a coyote hunting standpoint like he's always he's delivering packages to all these farmers and ranchers all day long you know so it's just everybody's situation is always unique to me as far as how it relates how their job relates to their coyote hunting how much they can coyote hunt uh and everything there yeah well like you know i'm married and i've got a son and uh man if my family didn't hunt with me there's no way i'd be able to hunt as much as i do you know, I, I couldn't just be gone most mornings hunting. But luckily, yeah, yeah. our dynamics work like that to where we all just hunt together. So instead of like, oh, you're always gone hunting, it's like we just hunt together. Heck, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that's important. I think a lot of guys, you know, back to the same token of YouTube and social media and how can I get sponsored and all this stuff. I mean, that's a big part of it, too. Like, 
you know, how's that all fit into your life? You know, your family life, your work life. Do you even have the time that it would take to even do that in the first place, you know, without ruining everything else, you know, yeah. in your life, you know, that's super important. I remember like when we, uh, when we signed our first contract, man, it was such a different thing than what we thought. Like you're looking at like you sign a contract and I think a lot of people don't understand this. When you do that, you have to tell them how many videos you're going to have that year. And, oh, oh, yeah, 100%. You know, it's like, I don't know how many coyotes are going to call in. <laughs> not only do I not know how many coyotes I'm going to call in, I don't know how many are going to work the dogs. You know, I, I don't know any of that. But you've got to put it on paper and you have to deliver. Yeah, and that's where, that's where the, like you said, it, sometimes the stress comes in and, okay, now – does it take a little bit of the fun out of it every now and then it's still we're still out hunting and, and hunting coyotes well the but... way i look at it i remember my dad told me one day he was like well, don't don't turn it into a job and i was like well i hate 98 percent of my normal job now <laughs> you know like i like 100 percent of coyote hunting yeah. if i only if i turn that into a job to where i only like 90 percent that's still a lot of like involved you know, it's a lot more like than my normal job. So like, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. Even, you know, even if you take somebody that said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to turn myself into a full-time hunting guide, you know, and do guided coyote hunts. To me, that's probably the only way you could probably fully make a living doing this, you know, year round, you know, and you'd have to do it all kind of like what Colton Gillum does out in Wyoming, you mm -hmm. know, he does the decoy dog and the night hunt and day hunt all year round. Right. But even then, you know, then that's the only way that allows you to be a full-time coyote hunter and be your full-time job. But then God dang, at some point you're like, dang, is it really, is this kind of a job, right? Like I'm just, I'm not really hunting for myself anymore. Yeah. yeah. I'm still kind of hunting coyotes, but you know, it's, it's, so it's a, it's like a double-edged sword. And I don't know if you can ever get the perfect, unless you just hit the lottery, you know, and then you can just coyote hunt for fun all the time. Right. Yeah. I would, I would like the old power ball to make its way over <laughs> to me. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> well heck yeah man well i appreciate you taking the time joey man that was been fun I, I i really liked your perspective on uh the east versus west thing right on the same lines of what i kind of always preach a lot of you know so hopefully everybody listening if you haven't been one or the other you know for, hey take a trip out west or out east you know give it a shot and uh you know kind of get a taste for yourself huh well that's what's great about you guys out west man uh you got so much public land, like anybody can find a place to go hunt out there. You know, it might not be the best, but like you're going to a new state. That's half the fun right there. Yeah. And that's one thing too. expectations, you know, like, um, you know, I, I think social media lays out some unrealistic, realistic expectations. Yeah. Do we kill have 10 coyote days? Of course we do. But that's like one out of freaking 15 or 20 days that we're out there grinding, you know, is a, is a three or four coyote day way more normal. Heck yeah. You know, so, so for you to make a trip out West, you know, I would consider it a success if you were killing a few coyotes a day, you know, especially if you're hunting on areas you've never been to, yeah. you know, I've never been to, I'm like, Oh, that's great, man. You're kill You're killing some coyotes. That's, that's a win in my book. But what's a shame is a dude will go out West to hunt. That's never been to like Idaho and hunt stuff he's never even seen and he'll kill two coyotes in a weekend and be ashamed to post that on social media yeah that's yeah you're exactly right they should not be 
they should be like, man, I, because 99% of the coyote hunters out there are afraid to go hunt new places. I mean, that's bottom line. Like, yeah. like, oh my God, I'm going to have to go hunt a new place where I don't know exactly where I'm going to sit, exactly where I'm going to park. You know, I mean, no, yeah. Force yourself, you know, to, to come out of your comfort zone and see if you really understand the process. Right. Yeah. And like, I absolutely love Idaho, man. Like I'd move out there if I could. And if you go out to Idaho for your first time and you're more worried about how many coyotes you killed than actually just soaking up Idaho, your your mindset's wrong anyways. Yep. yep. Yeah, I I talk about this a lot, man. Travel travel to hunt coyotes, man. As far as going on an out of state hunt, it's probably the cheapest hunt you'll ever do, you know? And Absolutely. there's coyotes everywhere. And like you said, the further west you go, the more public land you run into. Um, you know, you get Onyx on your phone. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm talking about just having fun, just exploring new country, man. Not only the coyotes you'll see, but all the other stuff, you know, that you'll run into. Yeah. Heck yeah. Well, people want to get to want to check out your YouTube channel. What's uh tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, uh Mangy Dog TV. Um Mangy Dog. How'd you come up with Mangy Dog TV? Well, man, all the good names are taken. <laughs> you know, like I, that's as simple as I can be. Like, I was like, man, you know, like Fox Pro took every, like, you can't say anything about fur without copying Fox Pro. Yeah. Yeah. Um, John had Tooth and Claw. Like, every good name was taken. <laughs> and I, I don't even call coyotes dogs, I call no, them coyotes. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know how we got into it, but that's what we picked. And uh, I was a love hate. Sometimes I'm like, I like that name. Yeah, I, I, I like it. Horrible. I think it's good. But um, yeah, you know we uh, we got doesn't we hunt year round basically. So videos from dogging in the spring and summer, dogging and breeding season, normal fall and early winter hunts. Um, we normally post a couple like tips and tactics videos each year. Um, about like the sounds and stuff we use for that time of year. So it's got everything. Um. Especially, like, if, if you just love watching coyote hunts, love watching dogs work, or want a different perspective on sounds and tactics, it's all there. I think people are very curious about the decoy dogging thing, you know? I think, you know, it seems like those videos get, from a viewership standpoint, seem to get more more views, right? It's like the interaction with the dog, the coyotes are just more aggressive, and... Yeah, you if, know, if you, you get, that like, from a your really videos? mean coyote, man... Like we had a couple last year that we had coyotes 15 yards away from us just posturing and getting super mad. Yeah. And yeah. Our dog rips like five feet from the coyote just sitting down looking at them. <laughs> and it's just, you know, the, the views, engagement, and everything just blows up on them. Yeah. Yeah. That's an, it's unique coyote behavior, man. It's kind of cool. That's, that's what I love most about watching different coyote videos out there, just watching the coyotes. You know, like uh, how they're working, what they're doing. It's just, it's just interesting to me. You, you see, you see aspects of coyotes that you normally don't see when they're working a dog. They're ignoring you, and they're fifteen yards away. Um, you know, like in February, we shot a coyote, and Rip was holding the female by the throat, and the male came back and was like trying to run Rip off. And Rip's holding his ground while holding this coyote's mate in its mouth, just squaring up <laughs> with the coyote. And like, you don't see that, man. Um, no. You know, we had a coyote like 15 feet away from us. And they make so many subtle sounds that you don't notice. 
but when we got the call muted and we're that close and they're like cackling and kind of like laughing like a hyena and like chirping and stuff and you just you don't ever hear those sounds yeah, that's cool that's really cool <laughs> well yeah if you guys want to check out some of those videos mangy dog tv on youtube what about instagram where where can they get you on instagram right yeah um just my name joey hartley nice and uh facebook i've got a mangy dog tv page and then um my normal facebook page heck yeah well, good. I'd, especially, I'd encourage everybody to run out there. You can't ever have enough good coyote content, right? So go check out Joey's stuff, man. Well, buddy, once again, thanks for being on the episode. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, man. I appreciate you uh, reaching out, asking me to talk to you a little bit. Heck yeah. I want to thank everybody for listening to another episode here, Eastman's Predator Pros. You know, it's it's your guys' listens and support that'll make this the number one predator hunting podcast out there. So thank you for listening. Uh, if you're looking to find any information about myself, uh, you can go to my website, which is coyotecraze.com. That'll have links to, to our YouTube page, um, as well as my social media links um, and information about upcoming schools and things like that. Um, and of course, we couldn't do this without the sponsors, so got to thank them. Lucky Duck Predator Calls, Silencer Central, Cryptech, Swagger Bipods, Sig Sour Optics, Hornady, Onyx Hunt, and Black Rifle Coffee Company. And of course, big thanks goes out to Eastman's for putting this all together uh, if you're in, the, in the mood for looking at some big game stuff, seeing whatever uh, they have going on for the upcoming seasons. You can go to Eastman's.com to check out everything that they have going on there. But uh, until next time, I want to thank you guys for listening to this episode, and we'll catch you right here next time on the Eastman's Predator Pros Podcast. <laughs>